Hey, dear listeners, my guest today is the wise and talented Zoe Deutsch. I was so excited to have her back on the show. Her fan letter to Ryan Seacrest still has me laughing. Later in the episode, April offers her knowing insight to a listener who has some concerns about her soon-to-be mother-in-law. I offer a few ideas, too. And thank you all so much for your amazing response to our Deal Breakers game. We're so excited it's finally out there in the world. You can find a link for it in the show notes or get it wherever books and games are sold. All right, guys, here's Zoe. Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Unqualified with your host, Anna Ferris. I am so happy to talk to you. I'm so happy to talk to you, too. What have you been up to today? Well, I knit hats now, and I'll tell you about that in a minute. So I was drying my hair, and I was thinking how transformative this year has been. But before I talk about that, I wanted to ask you, how has this year changed you, if it has? Gosh, it's hard to think about that now that we've brought up knitting hats, because really, that's all I can think (laughs) about. So I I love it, Zoe. I understand the desire to want to go deep, but really, I had a deep passion. I had like a knitting circle in elementary school. I love that. But the problem is I have this sort of like unfinished dream because (laughs) I never finished my hat. I never finished my hat, but I had billion scarves. And I still have my my hat. That It's a pink hat, and I, I still have it. And I'm like, I'll finish it one day. But anyway, I want to hear about your hat journey. So it's been transformative in the way, I think, the early gripping of anxiety and like kind of what do we do as a community? We watch Tiger King. We like, <laughs> I don't know, make things out of the canned artichoke hearts that we have, you know, like the toilet paper scramble. And then I don't know. It's also been amazing to get to spend so much time with people that I love. And it felt anxious and kind of exciting, sort of. If you're lucky, you know, we were financially okay. And in that sense, it's been amazing to get to spend so much time with people that I love. Yeah. I don't think I've ever been happier. Well, it's the first time in your entire life that you've had this opportunity to be home this long, right? Zoe, the amount of puzzles I've done. I really think I've done maybe 53,000 piece puzzles. Did that give you a sense of how much your brain is always having to do that you, you you have to be stimulated even when you're like, I gotta knit hats, I gotta do puzzles, I gotta problem solve because I am con- my brain is constantly in like fighter mode. And I do think you're right. Like it turns out I am somebody whose brain is a little bit calmed by multitasking. Like I'll listen to a podcast while I puzzle. I'll like, you know, watch reality television while I puzzle. But Zoe, I do think part of it, and maybe you have this too, it's almost like my mind is seeking some kind of relief about not thinking because knitting is just so repetitive. You're doing the same simple motion once you learn it over and over again. And puzzling is, I keep trying to find the angle of where it's like somehow intellectually stimulating or I'm tapping into the mathematical part of my brain, but no, it's just pieces of cardboard that you match together. <laughs> no, I mean, I definitely don't think I had addressed the glaring, obvious element of my personality, which is that I have like 
severe ADD. And I cannot do anything without doing another thing at the same time. So like I can't watch a movie without pausing every 10 minutes to make a snack. It's so clear to me that I cannot focus at one thing only. So that became very obvious during this year. <laughs> you got to take up knitting again. I know. This is inspiring me for sure. I, I never got rid of my big box of yarn and shit. So that was very expensive. But that's probably why I never got rid of it. But <laughs> hats are so easy. This is the easiest thing and faster than a scarf because you don't have to turn it over for so long. The circular needle and the dropping the stitch, that stuff always, I mean, I don't know. Oh, I don't do that. I just do the knits all the way up and then I thread a needle with the yarn through the top and just take it all off, squeeze it together. I'm not like dropping any stitches. <laughs> Zoe, though, how are you not losing your mind? Or no, like, no, no. Oh. I feel very, I definitely feel like it's been a very transformative year for myself and everybody in my orbit. I went to go shoot a movie in London in February. And that was where I started to see all the shifts. Because, you know, when you're back in your natural habitat, quote unquote, and you start to recognize old habits that worked for you for 10 years, 12 years, and now no longer work for me or areas where I feel more vulnerable. It was very overstimulating and exciting and also life affirming that I could have a full year off of what I never imagined I'd have a full year off from and then still want to do it and to still feel really connected and excited and also like, what the fuck am I doing? I think there was a element of like just real ambition and just like, go, 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 and not really looking inwards about how much fear or how much uncertainty or whatever. And I didn't feel like I really knew what I was doing this time, but I think that that's okay. I was just relearning this thing I've been doing for a decade, I guess. I have a podcast coming out on May 6th. So basically, at the beginning of the pandemic, I panicked and I was like, what do I do? I need to do. I need to find something to do with my time. And I was with my friend Gavin Pallone, who's an awesome producer and certifiably insane man. Genius. I love him. We had done Zombieland 2 together and we were trying to figure out something to do. And we came up with this kind of funny idea to do a scripted show for as a podcast. So it's called A Total Switch Show, and it stars my real-life mother, uh, Leah Thompson, and myself. My name's Zoe Deutsch. That's Deutsch, pronounced D-O-Y-T-C-H, not to be confused with douche. Um, yeah, just wanted to clarify that with you guys. It's called A Total Switch Show, and it follows a 23-year-old named Emma and her 54-year-old mother, Lisa, very specific ages, who have switched bodies. But unlike the movies where people switch bodies, there's kind of no amount of lesson learning that will switch them back. And it's very darkly existential. We literally switch bodies when we scream the word cunt at each other. That's a spoiler. So it's completely like chaotic and insane and so funny. And it has an amazing cast like Bradley Whitford and Giancarlo Esposito and Chris Mintz-Plasse and Judy Greer and Bobby Moynihan and Sashir. I feel like I know maybe two-thirds of those people. And they're really wonderful people. They're so wonderful. And also, I don't know if you've ever worked with Gail Mancuso, the director. She's so wonderful. I wonder if she ever did a mom. But anyway, she directed it. I loved her. And yeah, it was produced by Team Coco, Gavin, and myself. It was really special to me because it was a family affair, and my sister wrote on it, which was really exciting. And it's like a mother-daughter swap, but very fucking dark and insane and hilarious. So I'm very excited. 
Fantastic. Did you enjoy the process, Zoe? I loved it. I think voice recording is a really unique acting experience. And it gave me an opportunity to play in different ways. And it was really fun to get to act, even though at the time it was sort of like, maybe I'll never act again. Because how could you be on a set? It seemed impossible a year ago, right? I've done a lot of voice work and I really enjoy it. And I like to think about like what the very specific challenges are to vocal work. And I really think the shaping of a character in the booth, you really have to kind of learn to have the freedom of kind of using your entire body. You know, have like a table read is also a very specific ability as well. It's so true. And I think so much of what makes a great story is what you hear, not what you see. And it's very fun from an acting perspective to have to use your imagination in that way. And what you're saying is so, so true. It's a different type of acting. But anyway, I learned so much, especially from these great voice actors. It's such a different thing. It was fun to learn for sure. So, Zoe, if acting suddenly became illegal, how would you make a living? (laughs) I don't know, because I was going to say like agent or like lawyer or publicist or something, but maybe travel agent. Cool. Is it cool? I don't know. I just am really obsessive about planning trips and knowing like the best restaurant and the best weirdest thing. You could write travel guides. I love travel guides. Yeah, they're the best. So yeah, you get it. I am on speed dial with all of my friends. I love it. I plan people's family vacations. I am so obsessed with not finding the nicest thing, but finding like the best hike. Isn't it the best to like be in the middle of a job and start like thinking like that daydream planning of like, oh, God, okay, Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Do you have a favorite country? Do you have like if you could have a fantasy itinerary? You know, I just went to Costa Rica, which was after I got fully vaxxed. I went to Costa Rica, which was amazing. But my favorite country I've been to was um, Kenya. That was a really great experience. What did you love about it? I've never been to Africa. What a dream it would be to go. My sister and I did an awesome trip through like Kenya, Rwanda, Uganda, Tanzania. It was just spectacular. Some friends of my parents went on a safari and they were like, it was the most amazing experience we've ever had. And I was like, what was so amazing about it? Was it like the people? Was it the landscape? Was it the vast difference of what we're used to? Was it like figuring out how to navigate in like, how do you go into that store and communicate that you want some water or whatever? Like, I don't know. I similarly am having a difficult time articulating it. We drove from Rwanda to Uganda and we went trekking on this volcano to see the silverback gorillas. It's hard to sort of beat the experience of being five feet away on foot from a family of silverback gorillas. Literally a little baby gorilla came up. It was only me, my sister, the guide, and this other couple. And they came and started playing with the camera. And they were so brilliant and humbling and It really did feel like there was some sort of conversation I was having. You know, obviously I wasn't speaking English. Right, no, no, no. But it felt like there was a real conversation that I was having with this family. And it was really interesting. And one of the things that I'll never forget is these silverback gorillas, they know that they're protected by the people because the treks are what bring a lot of money in to keep that volcano protected from poachers. You're literally supporting. Yeah, you have to get permits. It's a process to be able to do it. It's expensive for a reason so that it can protect the land and preserve these amazing creatures that exist literally on this one volcano. Anyway, 
These gorillas, they know that once they're found by these people that they've known for their whole lives, that they have one hour with people. And I kid you not, to the second of the hour, the like Papa gorilla looked at me and he was like, I'm out. And they all left. Like they were like, we're done with our hour of hanging out with you guys. We've done our job. Thanks for keeping us safe. Bye. And it was like not hostile. It was just like, see, I've given you what you need. Now leave us alone. The silverback gorillas know how to set boundaries better than I do. <laughs> Literally same. I was so impressed. I was so impressed by this gorilla's boundary setting. I want to know whose therapist they're seeing. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Okay, I was thinking about Hollywood and childhood and stuff like that. You and your parents and just what your experience was like. Your mom directed an episode of Mom, and I just love her so much. She is so lovely. So anyway, would you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. It's hard. It was my experience, so it doesn't feel weird. You know, it feels normal. I think one thing that maybe people are surprised by is how little we talked about work given work rules all of our lives. Like, For better or worse, like, I don't know very many stories about their careers. My mom is an actress and a director named Leah Thompson, and my dad is a director and a producer named Howie Deutsch, and they met while making a movie called Some Kind of Wonderful. We were, like, doing a little research, and, you know, we were like, oh, my God, pretty and paying, Some Kind of Wonderful. You know, that's, like, we're in our 40s. They, my parents, you know, they claim that they didn't sleep together while they were working on that movie. And I'm like, you guys are such liars. I mean, you're married now for three trillion years. Like, you can admit it yeah. that you were stooping. And they're like, no, we kissed at the premiere. Oh, my God. That's hysterical. Uh-huh. Sure. No, people hook up. Being on location is like everyone treats it like it's summer camp for adults. Everyone goes insane. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I always treated it like this is a study abroad. It's really interesting. Like people really can lose their shit when they're on location. It's understandable, but it gives me that much more sympathy for musicians, people that are doing that every night in a different place. Like my only way to wrap my brain around that kind of a lifestyle is from like crazy press tours. You know, they're brutal. So your parents didn't really talk about work at home at all. It's not to say that they're not obsessed with their work. Like, they are so obsessed with their work. All of us have an unhealthy relationship (laughs) to our obsession with work and, like, keep working. Go, go, go. Your mom, when she directed us on Mom, which I think was in 2018, she was remarkably, like, steady at the wheel. And I wonder if you were raised in a household that maybe wasn't prone to the drama that one might expect having a famous director and a famous No, it was not. You know, the drama came from me. I was the little ingredient to create chaos. Zoe, tell us more. What were you angry about? I love this. I don't know. I'm figuring it all out. It's got to be something from a past life. I had a lot of rage as a child. (laughs) We got to tap into this. I did too. I had a lot. Why? Well, I was really short. Like, that was kind of my identity. You know how kids have an identity. Yeah. I, I felt like I was known as the very short one. And I was really angry that I was a female. Like, I felt injustice in general, very 
deeply. <laughs> wow, that's so interesting. And it made me mad. That kind of morphed into anger in high school towards my world feeling so small and wanting to get out of it, wanting to escape it. And I also was a super late bloomer. So my freshman year in college was the first time I felt sexually attractive to guys. And I did not know what to do with that. I wore like the tiniest little Catholic school, like porn wear. <laughs> I was mad. I would stomp around. And I had like the, my bleach blonde hair and I was wearing black and I was always mad at the drama department. I get it. I was mad too. I was really mad. I didn't have any right. I mean, my only thing I can think of is like one of my earliest memories is driving down Ventura Boulevard. My sister I was in the front seat, I think, and I was in the back seat and I couldn't read yet. And my sister could because she's almost four years older. I can read now. I want to be clear. Oh, good. Yeah, thank you. It's been a <laughs> really long journey. No, and I, uh, I couldn't read yet. And she pointed to a billboard and her and my dad started laughing about it. And I was so frustrated and pissed off that they could read that and they thought it was funny. And I was excluded from understanding what was it that they were laughing at. And I just remember like putting on a show laughing so hard. So my oh. biggest fear, I'm a dummy, but I was good bullshitter and I really wanted to be seen as smart. To not fit in and to not understand and might like tick in response when I'm listening to a story or when someone says something to me, I go, I know, I know, which is like such an interesting impulse to say to someone I know, even when I don't know. It's like, I just want you to think I get it. Even if I don't, it's so juvenile and such a sign of insecurity. I wouldn't label myself as a insecure person. Anyway, I think there's something wrapped up in there that I was like angry that my big sister got it and everyone else got it and I didn't get it. Is there also a weird link for some reason to a fear of being left out? Absolutely. And look, I think that's true for everyone. It's heightened for me for whatever reason. What I also have been noticing that I think is so interesting, I had this weird revelatory thought that when I walk into a room, the first thing I'm concerned with is, do they like me? And it only came to me because I was with someone who, when I walked in the room with them, I immediately recognized it was the opposite. They were going, do I like them? But I can't fathom a world in which I'm more concerned with how I feel about people versus how they feel about me, which in turn then makes people not like you. If you're trying to mold and fit into what you think other people like, then you're just going to come off inauthentic. I think that that openness is what makes you such a great actress, that you are immediately receptive. Like that kind of depth of empathy, I think, can read in a camera. Like cameras pick up on true concern, I think, behind the eyes or true receptiveness. So let yourself off the hook because I'm the exact same way. Probably a shit ton of people are. How can we not be? You know, we're judged all the time. No, I think you're totally right. I think you're a million percent right. And I think what you said about camera picks up on all the little tiny muscles that your brain doesn't quite process in person immediately. Things that we can't control. So wait, did the person like you? <laughs> I don't know. No, no. The scenario was me and another person walking into a room and I was concerned with what the people in the room thought of me and the person I was with was concerned if they liked them. Did the person you were with like them? No. And that's when I was like, wait, I didn't even like them either. But I was so wrapped up in worrying if they were going to like me. I didn't even address that I didn't like them. I was too like fucked up over the idea that a fucking person wasn't going to like me. Who cares? I mean, Jesus Christ, so many people don't like me. Like there's nothing I can do about that. And I get it. 
I don't like everyone either. Zoe, when you were young, in terms of relationships, romantic relationships, were you blinded by that same thing that we have a little bit? Like, do they like me? As opposed to analyzing them properly? I certainly did. (laughs) You did? Oh, yeah. I was totally blinded by the idea that somebody liked me. So I forgave a lot, you know? I was so obsessed with being the love of someone's life. Yes. That was the most important part. I have a lot of gratitude for the partners along the way that I've had and all the like lovely boyfriends I've had. I really have had beautiful experiences with long-term relationships, except for one who's like really a horrible person. Zoe, in vague ways, can you tell us about that? Can you talk about a painful experience? The first sort of traumatic story that comes to mind was with the first love of my life. When I started dating this person, I was 16, and I was with them for six years. Those are the hard love years. You love hard during those years, or at least I did. My mom called us Liz and Dick. We were like, ah! Like, so insane, volatile, mercurial, insane passion. He is such a wonderful person, and I have just so much gratitude for everything that he taught me. And I just adore him. I'll always love him. But he cheated on me and I was on a press tour. I knew it was going to happen. How? Was he withdrawing a little bit? No, I just knew the circumstances. He called me the night of. I was on the press tour for a movie. Oh, no. What happened? He's like, I'm going to this thing. And I was like, great, drive your car. Because I knew if he drove his car, he wouldn't get fucked up. That's my little brain going, you can control. Well, you may have had to like bail him out after he got a DUI, which I had to do. (laughs) (laughs) He wouldn't have driven drunk. I knew that there was a certain person going. I knew that I didn't trust him or her or whatever. And they're going over to like a... A cast hang at a hotel room. Just the cast. That makes sense. (laughs) Anyway. They have to rehearse, Zoe. I know. They have to (laughs) for like some stupid fucking show. They have to work on their chemistry. And his mom was staying with him at the time. And I was very close with her. I knew something was wrong. His phone died. I was fucking like freaking out. When his phone died, did he text you, my phone is about to die, love you, talk to you tomorrow? Yeah, yeah. So the preemptive phone die. Then I'm obsessively calling his mom in the morning because I'm like, where is he? Where is he? Where is he? She is picking up and she's like, I don't know, I don't know. And finally at, you know, like 11, she calls me and she's like, Zoe, he did not come home last night. That's just the truth. And I was like, I knew. Of course. I was like, I just, I know. So she she attempted to cover for him? No, she never attempted to cover for him. She was calling to say, listen, here's the real deal. He cheated on you. That's sort of what the phone call was. If it was like, I don't know, I don't know. Like she knew that he was over at the hotel, but probably nothing happened because he loves Zoe so much and he would never, ever cheat on her. And that's my son. And then he came home and he called me and he told me everything. He just fessed up. Did you ask him? I mean, he told me everything immediately. So his mom told him that she had talked to you and said, don't lie to Zoe because I already I don't think she had any involvement. I think he is a very... Oh, he is that kind of guy. He's that that kind of guy. This is where I learned so much from the relationship in general. Like, he's a very flawed person, but he's a very good person at his core. And he immediately told me everything. I asked for every last fucking detail. I tortured myself over it. But I remember when he told me I was in a hotel room... I don't know if anyone listening has had this experience. You're in so much pain that I was on the ground and I couldn't tell if the carpet was the ground or the ceiling was the ground. Like, I literally remember holding the carpet and I was like, I actually don't know if I'm on the ground or this. 
<laughs> like I couldn't tell what was going on. And I had to get on these calls all day. And I remember there was an actor with me on the press tour who was just so wonderful. I lost like 12 pounds and I was already so small. Like I looked horrifying. A press tour, it's difficult in a really specific way. You know, usually you're jet lagged, but you've flown like first class. Like they treat you really well. You stay in beautiful hotels or whatever. But for like 14 hours a day, you're saying essentially the same handful of sentences. <laughs> Nonstop with literally 10 second breaks in between. And you're like, oh, I got to pee. And they're like, well, I'm so sorry. We have this call. And you're like, but I have to eat. And they're like, sorry. I remember one time my publicist was like, only 73 more to go. Oh, my God. Like, how does one survive that kind of thing? <laughs> when I came home, I didn't get out of bed for a week. Oh, God. But I remember my mom saying to me, she said, you're going to be fine. And also, this is the worst you're ever going to feel. It was the worst I'd ever felt. You know, we ended up not only staying together for another five years. I don't remember exactly the timeline. I don't remember actually if I was 17 or 18 or whatever. But we were together a total of six years. We stayed together for a really long time. But the point of what I learned from that experience was, of course, being betrayed all the stuff that comes with being cheated on, I just learned that that wasn't the ultimatum for me. I actually could get past that. It took a long time and I made some really big mistakes in terms of lying to myself and him that I had forgiven him, in terms of continuing to punish him for this mistake that he had chosen to try to amend. Like, that was wrong on my behalf. But the thing I learned was cheating is not the ultimatum. It's what you do with that mistake. It's the recovery. It's the honesty from that mistake. We're all human beings. Like, how do you handle it? He handled it by me immediately telling me the next day. He gave me the information to make a choice. And that was as a young woman to learn that and to see that, you know, it was such a gift, honestly. So when I think of being cheated on, though it was traumatic, like so many things in life, there's a light at the end of the tunnel if you just keep going through. And it was useful for me in my life. And also not judging people's relationships and what happens with people. You never fucking know. The judgment I received from staying with him was shocking. And also, I cannot explain how much braver it was for me and him to stay in the relationship than to end it. The relationship wasn't, you know, horribly toxic and he wasn't a repeated cheater. He was a really good person. He made a mistake. He was drunk. He was a fucking idiot. He broke my heart. And then we worked on it. Our relationship continued to be complicated. It was just really life affirming to like have that whole thing. I do my best to not judge people's relationships in part because of this experience. It's so important what you just said. My dear friend slept with my ex and I loved this girl so much. She was my dearest friend. Like I had always envisioned the day I would run into her, get in her face and I would unleash my rage, which I rarely do. I don't really have much of a temper, I don't think. But when I finally ran into her four years later, I just started sobbing. It was on an airplane. We had landed at Heathrow, a huge plane. We didn't see each other the whole flight until we were exiting. And we were the very last people off the plane. And she said, Anna, I turned around and we were just like collapsed in each other's arms. And we're still best friends. And I love her so much. And people in my life were confused about that, too. People were like, how? Like, I wouldn't do that. And my love for her won out. Whatever I needed to say by my pain, you know? Mm. No, that's really beautiful. And I think also the thing you were saying about, like, the fantasy of how it's going to play out. And your reaction is, I mean, almost always just so different than how you planned for. But it is so interesting the way that our bodies and our minds react versus, like, how we think our bodies and our minds should react. And it does require a lot more empathy and, like, love to move forward. 
I've made a lot of mistakes. All of us make mistakes. So it's just case by case and you have to follow your heart and what feels right for you. I by no means am like an advocate for like, always get back together with the cheater and it's always a good thing. But that was my experience and your experience with your friend. Completely. Okay, have you ever written a fan letter? Yeah, I wrote a fan letter to Taika when I read Jojo Rabbit. I never got an audition or anything. I just sent him a letter saying it was the best thing I've ever read. I never felt anything like that. But he's since become a buddy of mine. So it's interesting. The world works. I never could have imagined I would become friends with him. I just think the world of him. Oh, I sent a fan letter to Ryan Seacrest when I was a kid because I was obsessed with American Idol. I don't remember what it was, but I had like a really, and this is not like a bit, I had like a real thing about being stressed out about him because I would imagine I would go to school listening to him. I'd come back listening to him because he was on the radio. Oh my God, yeah. And then I'd go home and I'd watch him on American Idol and I'd be like, this guy, when does he do anything? So I just felt like deep, like, oh my God, this guy needs to just take a vacation. I so hope you wrote that. Let's revise your memory. <laughs> you wrote <laughs> Ryan Seacrest a letter recommending. Insane. <laughs> All right. If you could live anywhere in the world for a year, where would it be? Ooh. We're so lucky we get to do shit like that all the time. I get to like move to London for three months. I know. I know you're right. Japan, I loved and I would love to live there for a year. Italy, but also not just for a year. Like I just sort of feel like maybe that's a more than one year forever type of vibe. There's this YouTube channel, Nikki Positano. (laughs) She moved to Positano like eight years ago. It's like the total daydream. I don't know why what you just said made me think of this because it's literally the opposite. But last time I was on this podcast, I guess I talked about waxing or something or maybe I had just come from wax. Anyway, the next time I went, the waxer was like in my vagina and like said something about it. I was like, oh, my God. And that just came to me. That's awesome. So there's a waxer who's a fan of your podcast. I don't know about my vagina. She didn't say anything about that. Thank you so much, Zoe. I just love talking with you. Bye, you guys. Thank you. Bye. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, 
Hey everyone, April Beyer is back now officially as my much needed co-host. As you know from previous episodes, April brings great advice, insight, and years of experience. I am so thrilled to have her. Hi, Hannah. Hi. Can you hear us? Yes. Hi. Are you in your car right now? I am because I live with my fiance's brother and I can't let him hear me talk shit about his mom. (laughs) We've had at least four callers call from their cars or outside for the exact same reason. (laughs) I'm like, oh, can't do that. (laughs) I loved your letter. Will you tell our listeners what's going on? So a little bit of backstory. I've been with my fiance for four years. We're getting married in 12 days now. And He's the youngest of four boys, and his parents split when he was very young. His dad's a piece of shit. I refuse to see him. They're all mama's boys, rightfully so. And she is very manipulative and just has to make everything about her. She plays the victim a lot. Any interaction we've ever had, she's always crying. It's another manipulation thing. The boys have seen it at their own pace, but Recently, it's been made more clear to my fiance that his mom is manipulative and not exactly who he thinks that she is. And I've never had any issues with her because I just kind of stay quiet and I try not to ruffle any feathers because I'm I'm not really confrontational, but I don't know where to draw boundaries with her because it's not my mother. And we're going to Hawaii to get married. And everyone's like, oh, what do you want us to wear? I was like, honestly, I really don't give a shit what anybody wears as long as me and my fiance look good. And my mother asked me, what do you want me to wear? And I was like, girl, figure it out. You got it. So I just let her get whatever. And his mom asked me as well, but I can't be rude to her. It's not my mother. So I sent a very thoughtful message back. Oh, we don't care what anyone wears, colors, patterns. We just want everyone to look good, feel good, and whatever they're wearing, no big deal. And so my fiance's brother and his girlfriend, they're like, oh, we went over to talk to his mother. And the girlfriend was like, have you seen the dress she picked out? No, why? And she's like, it's a white dress. I really don't care other than the fact that I know she's doing it to push my boundaries and just test me. So since I previously sent in the email, his brother and girlfriend, they went to talk to her about it and she got hysterical. She blamed it on one of the brother's significant others like, oh, she's putting all those ideas in uh, Hannah's head, blah, 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 because she hates her for no reason at all. But long story short, while they were over there, she sent me this text message out of the blue. It was like, have a good day. She sent a picture of a new dress in all caps. She's like, here's my real dress and olive color boots or whatever, blah, blah, blah. I did not appreciate it. And so I told my fiance about it. And he's like, no, she doesn't know how to text. She doesn't know what that means. I was like, no, your mother's a lot smarter than you guys give her credit for. She knows exactly what she's doing. You guys just don't want to see it. She makes them think that she's not as smart as she is. It's like not that hard to manipulate men, (laughs) honestly. And they're like, oh, we don't know what's happening. I'm like, "Uh, yeah, I know. So it's just, I don't know how to set boundaries with her or like how to approach it because it's it's not my mother. And yeah. I always feel like weddings, people tend to just show their hand. It's just one of those things. If they need attention, if they're the kind of person who can seize an opportunity in people's excitement about this upcoming event, if their stress like manifests itself in these ways, 
but I'm glad that it's not your friends. But it is troubling that it's your future mother-in-law. Yeah. Let's call her Jan. Is that all right? Yeah, Jan's good. Okay. So Jan picked out a white dress and your future sister-in-laws? We all talk. So me and all the significant others, all four of the boys have significant others. And we're all very friendly with each other. I'm actually really close with the oldest one. Me and my fiance met at their wedding. And she'll talk shit about us to the other significant others. And I'm like, we all talk. Like, I don't know what's going on. And she doesn't have any friends or any family. Like, her four boys are it. And so it makes it even more difficult. How close are your fiancé and mother? Are they the closest bond? Or is there another brother that's closer? Like, tell me a little bit about that side of things. I think he's really close with his mom in the sense of he's always felt bad for her. I do too. But at some point, like, I'm not just going to let you let me think you're a victim all the time. Yeah. You're 60 years old. You can handle yourself. But he's close, but it's always been very apparent that he's the baby. And so I've drawn hard boundaries with him and his mother as well. Like when we first started dating, I know she used to ask for money from some of the other brothers. And I said, that will not ever happen unless I know about it, like that kind of stuff. So I think she's closest with the third son and he lives in Jacksonville, Florida, like states away. And so she'll call him and he just kind of believes everything because he's not here to see it for himself. Do you think at this point the white dress thing has been settled? I think so. I'm just worried about future stuff now because like um, the oldest son and his wife, they recently just had a kid and it's the first grandbaby on her side. And whenever they chose to tell everybody, they told all the family in the same way. They like tied a little bandana around their dog and it's like, my mommy's pregnant. And she came over and they showed her and she didn't really seem that excited. And then she was like, I know this isn't the right time, but your aunt is in the hospital. Like their aunt, they don't even talk to. I was like, yeah, that's a completely inappropriate time. Sorry, you didn't mean to laugh. It's wild though. You wouldn't believe it. And I'm like, what is going on here? Oh boy, April. Yikes. Yeah. Hannah, I got to tell you, I'm just sorry, but you're not alone. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this happens. I would say, I'm going to guess 60 to 70% of people, women especially, have difficulties with their mother-in-law. You know, as you're talking about all of this, how his dad split when he was young and she doesn't have friends and close family that her boys are everything to her. The thing that keeps popping into my mind is, have you guys thought of pooling all your money and hiring her a matchmaker? (laughs) Or putting her on Match.com, like getting her a guy so that she can have a relationship of her own. She makes very poor decisions and I think she does this on purpose. I don't trust her judgment, quite frankly, at all. And I've talked to him about why doesn't she try to go make friends? He's like, no, she just likes to be in her own misery, which is like, I'm not going to help you if you don't want to help yourself. I like it that your fiance recognizes that, though. That's a really good sign Mm -hmm. that he at least isn't totally blind like a lot of men are. I think he doesn't know what to do with any of the information. Can I ask you about the finances in Hawaii? Are you guys taking care of her finances? I'm just trying to anticipate other drama. Yeah. For Christmas, we bought her plane ticket. And I think she's staying with some of the other boys while we're there. I don't really know. Okay. Yeah. That's good. Well, she wouldn't stay with them. Yeah, no, absolutely (laughs) not. (laughs) 
So is she paying for any of the wedding? No. Did she want to be involved in any of your planning? She wants to be involved so badly, but the way we plan things, like I wanted it to be minimal planning. So we just bought a package. You are my kind of gal. I love it. Yes. Oh, I wanted to go to the courthouse and my mother was like, absolutely not. I said, okay. <laughs> but my mom was also like, well, I just feel like I'm not involved in the planning as well. And so both of the moms were kind of like that. But once I talked to my mom and so she's like, oh yeah, okay, we're chill now. We're ready to go. But his mom just wanted to be so involved in the planning and there's really nothing. They just give us the stuff. There's no planning. I think what we're hearing, Anna, I don't know if you hear this too, is that you're more concerned with the future yeah. in this family than you are even with your wedding day. Is that true? Yes. I just don't know how to handle her. And none of the other daughter-in-laws do either. So you could kind of see Jan behaving in a very similar fashion. Yes, just towards everyone. Because I thought I was the favorite because I just didn't talk or ruffle any feathers. But she still found ways to, like, cause problems with me. And I'm like, oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, Jan is in so much internal chaos and self-loathing. It's why she speaks poorly about all of you behind your backs. This is more than than what you guys are actually seeing. And by the way, her sons, it's not that they can't see the manipulation and the bad behavior. It's just that if they do recognize it, they have to swallow that pill. And that's challenging. They don't have a dad. They have that internal guilt built in to them from her early on. And because men are born to be the protector providers, they're trying to protect and provide for their mother. So that's why when you find people who can't dive in and say, yes, my mother is manipulative or my partner is manipulative, it is because accepting it is almost more difficult than not, right? Then you really have to go into that life knowing that. And that's more difficult. I would say that this is not going to change. And the sooner you know this, the better off you're going to be because you have to accept who she is. It is not your job to change anybody. It is only to recognize who she is and also, Hannah, why she's doing it. You're getting ruffled by her antics and her victimization and how she's always a Debbie Downer and she tries to one-up everybody with another painful story. She grabs attention from people even when there's a birth announcement or even when there is you know, a trauma in the family, like an affair. But you all have to think about why she's doing it. I know she's lonely. I just don't know. Another question I was hoping you guys could answer was my fiance was like, maybe you can go hang out with my mom whenever you're not doing anything because he works out of state right now. And once we get married and I finish things with my job, I'm going to move with him. But he's like, oh, I know you don't have too many people to hang out with right now. Like, you should text her or go hang out. Like, I don't want to do that. And I really don't feel like that's my job. I don't know how to politely tell him like, no. Okay. So you guys are leaving for Hawaii soon. Yeah. Here would be my practical, immediate advice. And maybe April can tell me what she thinks too. But maybe call her and just say, you're just so excited. You're going to have an awesome time. And if there is anything that needs to be smoothed over because Jan only heard about the white dress drama through another party member, right? 
Or did you also say something? Yeah, my fiance said something and she came over to apologize when I was just home alone. And I said, no, I don't want that. She came over, immediately started crying, didn't even apologize and left. I was like, I, I don't know what happened. Oh God. I was traumatized. <laughs> oh God. All right. So she just pops by <laughs> to cry. So to prevent like drama at the wedding, which it sounds like she is ripe for during that time, her feeling loved and accepted is going to be important for her to not feel scared. Mm -hmm. And she's definitely a little bit of a ticking time bomb, it sounds like. So preventive measure would be surrounding her with love, even though it's really hard. Yeah. I know. God, you're like, I wish I didn't call her. <laughs> and the one thing that may come out of that, she's going to maybe think that you guys are all closer than you want to be. Mm -hmm. But you are moving away. So keep that in mind. And you want to have an awesome time at your wedding. And you guys will. Unfortunately, this is like a little bit of the preventative work I think that you have to do, which is it is really hard to give a compliment to somebody that you're not feeling particularly warm towards. I don't like being disingenuous and lying, but I do think that's what I'm going to. Oh, Hannah, come on. It's what I do for a living. <laughs> you know what? I, I kind of figured that was the advice I was going to be given. I was like, let me just double check, I guess. <laughs> No, you know what Hannah is going to help you is it's not disingenuous when you know the root cause of why she is the way she is. Because long before her husband left her, this woman was neglected, not loved, not heard, not seen. It's why she chose a guy that would split on a woman with four kids, okay? When you dive into her why... Your love comes from not, I'm going to love her because she has bad behavior and it's going to make her feel better. It's going way back in time and viewing her as this little girl, like picture her seven years old and being neglected and just, she was just sort of blending into the background or maybe she wasn't talked to in a nice, kind and loving way. And you're going to look at her as that little girl. This is why she manipulates. This is why she cries. This is why she one-ups. This is why she causes drama and chaos because she's literally going, somebody look at me. Somebody see me. Somebody make me important. And all you're doing, all of you, is looking at the superficial behavior. And of course, nobody wants to be around her. When I first moved in with my husband, they had a neighbor who was not great with everybody. And they were all complaining, oh, we can't have a party because she's going to say something about it. And none of them befriended her except when I moved in. And I did. And all I did was just get into knowing her and finding out what made her tick. And she actually ended up being a lovely person that we now know to this day. But I got to tell you, once I did that and it wasn't out of being disingenuous or trying to manipulate, I was just really curious about her. Everything in our environment changed. Everything got easier. This is why your mother-in-law, future mother-in-law, got so upset that she didn't get to plan. It's not because she's trying to force herself on everybody. It's literally because she just wanted to be part of something. So Anna's advice about loving up on her is 100% correct because it's going to help all of you. It's going to help your future. It's not going to take everything away that she's going to do at the wedding and beyond, but it's certainly going to help you. Give her some little job at this wedding 
I don't care if it's tying a bow on a vase or asking her advice about something, right? Hey, Jan, do you think I should blank, blank, blank when I walk down the aisle? What do you think? Even if you don't take the advice, involve her. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. And Hannah, I can tell why she was drawn to you in terms of, like, you were the safe woman. I can tell you're strong and you are stable and you like things like that. (laughs) And so she viewed you as like the reasonable woman. So unfortunately, if you had a different personality, I think we would be giving you different advice. (laughs) But unfortunately, you seem strong enough that you can handle this. Yeah, that's right. Shit, I apologize. It's a burden. (laughs) But it's such a great skill. And I think it's really important for the entire family. Yeah. This is the worst, isn't it? You're like, shit. My back hurts from carrying this family. Yeah. Yeah. But I think finding a good ally in a friend is good. And somebody who can also, if you give them the job of complimenting her. And I love, April, your suggestion of curiosity. People love to be asked questions. The only thing that could be difficult coming out of this, like I mentioned before, is that she then views you as a really close family member. But because you're moving away, you'll have a natural distance. She can't pop by. If she feels like she's really close to you after this Hawaii experience, you can kind of gauge where things lie. But what do you think, April? Is this good advice? This is good. No, this is great advice. I just think the more you avoid and sideline someone like this, the bigger the monster becomes. Yeah, totally. Especially because she viewed Hannah as a friend before. Yeah, because Anna's right. She sees your strength, right? She sees it in you. And so be bigger than this because you're going to quiet the bear if you do this. You get into your inquiry. You get into your care. Maybe every week, all you do is send a text with like, hey, we just did such and such today. The next other week, it's a question that you ask her. Everybody collectively can figure out a way to fill her cup in the most appropriate way, not just being complacent and sort of placating her, but like really getting into, God, this human being, this soul is suffering, right? Let's handle that before we avoid her behavior or put up with behavior, because that's not healthy for you or anybody. And it's not a good way to start your marriage. Mm -hmm. But like getting into something else, understanding that she's 60 years old, she's not going to change but you will quiet her, right? Think about the times that we have all wanted something from our partners. And if we were told we were crazy or being overly emotional or wrong, what happened? We just became even louder with our crying and our complaining. Or am I alone in this? (laughs) Okay. So the second somebody acknowledges you, and says, I'm sorry, or it's okay, or it's going to be fine, all of a sudden it's like, 
like nice cool water goes on it. So that's what I would recommend for that for sure. And I guess I want to ask, you've mentioned the word boundaries a couple of times. What kind of boundaries do you want to set? Like if you said, I want to set these three boundaries for the wedding or for my life in this family, what would those be? Forget about her behavior. Because boundaries are when somebody crosses the line of your own Mm -hmm. values, morals, and principles. And boundaries aren't about what you tell people or how you build a wall and say, keep out. It's something that you hold and you know for yourself so that you don't fall prey to someone else's bad behavior or antics. Boundaries are actually more quiet. They're about you. So what is that for you? The only thing I can relate to is like when my mother, when she thinks she can talk to like me or my sisters a certain way, I just let her know, like, you can't do that. And then I kind of just stay to myself for a while and be like, this is what upset me. This is why I'm not going to continue this conversation. I'm going to take myself out of this situation. And why do you do that with your mom? Because it's my mother. Why are you able to do that with your mom? I think because, I don't know, I can't talk to his mom that way because it's... Because? I think he would be so upset with that. And then she would try to turn it on me somehow and be like, well, she talked to me this way. She's a terrible person, blah, 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 blah. Well, you know, none of us can talk to our mother-in-laws the way we speak to our own mothers, right? Like that woman gave birth to us. So of course we're going to have a shorthand. But the reason why you're able to talk to your mother like that is because of familiarity, the connection of mother-daughter, yes, and unconditional love, right? You don't have unconditional love. And when we have unconditional love, we have safety, which is why we're genuine and why we can speak up and say things because we know that person's never going to leave us. Mm-hmm. You have to speak pretty much the same way to your future mother-in-law, the same way you speak to your mom. You have to assume that she's not going to crack, that she's not going to go away, that your marriage is going to be fine. And you have to understand that even if you say something and she whinges and whines and cries, that it's temporary, that she's going to be okay. Because if you follow the other behavior, you guys are all falling into this almost trap of Mm -hmm. everybody's created bad behavior. Then it really becomes about manipulation. But if you say to her, Jan, thank you so much. I love you, but that hurt my feelings. And the reason why I can't have that, or I understand why you got that dress. The dress is so pretty, but it made me a little uncomfortable because I guess I've subscribed to this notion that the bride should be the only one in white, Mm -hmm. but it was so pretty. And knowing that she's just trying to be seen. She wasn't trying to push you by getting the white dress with the pink flowers. She was trying to be seen, right? So speak to her in your most kind, honest way. Just make sure it's wrapped with the awareness of love. Mm -hmm. Not like, oh, she's going to break because she's glass. You can't give somebody the truth and wrap it with barbed wire. Give them the truth and wrap it with care. And it can manifest in different ways, too. If your mother-in-law is talking shit about, like, one of the girls, there can be, like, a gentle pushback in the form of, like, well, I totally hear you, Jan, but think that Ashley's been really stressed out about her job. You know, like, there's gentle ways to let her know that she won't find an ally in you, Mm -hmm. but you're not shutting her down. And before I forget, though, Hannah, I think it is awesome that you guys are including her. And I want you to know that that is really generous. You are giving the love of your life a really generous gift by including his mom in all of these things. And it means a lot, I think, that you wrote to us and are talking to us too. 
I think you and you alone can bring this family together. (laughs) And you're going to hate me for this. I can sense in you that you are the chill member of the family. So you may also need to be the chill leader. Chill leader, got it. You know, like, I want her to trust you and to admire you. And I think that those are achievable things. And then pick your one safe person that you can vent to, that you're just like, fuck, Jan, uh." But be very careful with the amount that you do it because it can be a very fueling process. Like the more shit talk, like the bigger the thing becomes. It kind of just manifests the negativity. Yeah. So I would find that person, your best friend or whatever, and just say, will you help me with this? Like, I want to have the best time. We're going to have the best time. This is my one worry. Do you think you have a friend in mind that you could be like, (laughs) will you help me with Jan? Yes. And just to bring it back to your marriage, I really think that this will be just a really wonderful gift for him. I don't know what his dating past was like, but I imagine witnessing his brothers and other relationships and the drama that is always pulsating from Jan and how it like infiltrates the family. I think you can be a rock, I guess, and a safe place. And potentially there will be a decrease in the drama. And I love, April, your suggestion of giving her like an assignment. Just something to do. Yes. You know, even her text of this is the real dress in caps. That's an opportunity for you to be less agitated. And remember, some of this that Anna and I are telling you isn't about pleasing her or you doing all of the heavy lifting. This is also about how can we cool your jets, right? Anna used the word cool leader. How do we calm you down so that you enjoy your wedding and have a blast? And this is your day. And then really, Mm -hmm. ultimately, it's one day out of thousands and thousands of days you're going to have as a couple and as you build your family. Don't put so much pressure on that day. This is a kind of a long-term situation that you're going to be up against. So what we're trying to help you with is getting creative so that you can have a great day, but more importantly, a happy life. So when she does these things, it's not just like, oh, like you're not like screaming inside. Every time she sends a text like that, it's like you literally in your brain go, bless your heart. That's it. And then everything after that is going to be better. How you respond, because why should you have to suffer on your day or your life? Because this woman is so painfully lonely and insecure and sad, right? Poor thing. Mm -hmm. Who didn't love up on her enough in her life? And so I do agree that just bringing her in a little bit is going to quiet her. You just think it's going to turn her into a bear of wanting more and We, I think Anna feels the same. Correct me if I'm wrong, Anna. We think that if you just dose a little bit of kindness along the way, it's going to go a long way. I think she's probably not used to it. Hannah, I do want you to be prepared for what I think Hawaii will be. I think it's going to be awesome, first of all. I think that everyone's going to be so excited to be there after this insane year. But do be prepared for some drunken meltdowns. Or like somebody coming to you and being like, oh my God, Jan just did this to me. And just anticipate that these moments probably will happen. And if you can anticipate them, they won't ruin your day. And that's what it's about. It's about everybody having a wonderful time celebrating you guys. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Anna, that's so good that you said that about anticipation because anticipation of something coming doesn't hurt you. It prepares you. Right, Anna? Yeah, exactly. And so then you can gauge how much you want your emotional investment to be. You can be active in those choices if you can anticipate them. Mm-hmm. Hannah, I cried at my own wedding. I had people mistreat me at my own wedding. Like it happens. So just make it yours right? Make it your days and understand that there's always somebody that gets wasted at a wedding. There's always somebody that does something inappropriate. There's always somebody that doesn't pay enough attention to you or your husband. And everybody's going to be on vacation together for the first time in a long time, right? Like, so it's kind of ripe. It's also ripe for awesome stuff too. Totally. 100%. Because it's so like important it could end up being the best time for the family if everybody does it correctly. If everybody collectively, you and all these girls all talk before the wedding and say, can you guys back me in having the intention of the day being beautiful and memorable? Let's all do this. And vocally, you need to share with Jan that you guys are all close. You need to say, isn't it amazing, Jan, that your boys all married great women and we're all friends? And you did that, Jan. You raised those boys that we love all on your own, Jan. And I love that, man. Hana, I just sent my mother-in-law a card for Mother's Day that said all great men come from great women. Oh, yeah, you do good work. Like, I'm telling you, give her some credit for raising awesome boys. Hannah, do you know that I officiate weddings? <laughs> oh, I know. I share your um, distaste for, like, bridesmaids, though, or just, like, a wedding party. I'm like, that's going to rank my Uh Oh, I'm worried that we're breaking up a little bit, but I do want to tell you that I promise we would be giving you different advice if you were a different kind of person. Mm -hmm. And it just seems like, unfortunately, you can shoulder this. Yes, you can. And we don't know you very well, Hannah. And we still know that because we're intuiting that because it's just the energy and the vibe that you bring to the room even before you speak. That's not a cross to bear. That's something to be really super proud of. And I would just say replace the word confrontation and redefine it with confident, direct, honest, and loving communication, period. End of story. So, Hannah, are you and your fiancé able to get time alone during the wedding? Yes. So after the wedding, we're just going to do our own thing. We said, please don't bother us, anybody. For about four days, we'll be just us. Awesome. I love that. And I think if you really want the horrible chores, I really think you should send her a text today. Maybe give her a call (laughs) and just say, we're going to have the best time. I'm so looking forward to this. And yeah. I'm up for the challenge. I can do it. I know you can. I know you can. Most problems are solved with love. You would be like an amazing camp counselor. I was a camp counselor. (laughs) And I bet you were really good. Anna, she nailed it. There was three of us and I was the stern hands. Everyone was the fun one. I was mother. Well, I love that we uncovered camp counselor (laughs) and your title of camp counselor was mom, like mom camp counselor. So clearly you have maternal skills and you're responsible. So mom her. I will mom her. But hey, Hannah, thank you so much. Congratulations. Have the best time. Of course, we'll do. Did want to say one thing. I always say I love you to everyone after I like call or hang up and no one ever do it back. But when I started listening to your podcast, it gave me permission to do it. I was like, oh, I'm not weird. Oh, oh my God, Hannah, Aww. I love you. I love you too. Yeah, <laughs> let's spread it, baby. Aw. <laughs> 
<laughs> Have a beautiful, beautiful wedding and a gorgeous life together, Hannah. Thanks, guys. All right. Bye. 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 Bye.